thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. As we sang, we desire to build our life upon you. That, Lord, there's no one else worthy. You're worthy of every song we would sing, every breath that we would breathe. We exalt you. We exalt you, Lord. For you are God. And, Lord, thank you that you have made us your people. And so we delight in who we are, redeemed by Jesus, and the things that you've called us to do and the way you want us to live. We bless your name in Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to start, we're going to start a little mini-series this summer from the book of First Thessalonians. So you can turn right now and start to acclimate yourself to First Thessalonians chapter 5. But before we kind of go through First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 12. They're kind of the final remarks that Paul says to Thessalonians. I want to just give you a little 90-second walkthrough on this book. Because Paul had to leave Thessalonica in a hurry. Things got rough for him there. People began persecuting him there, and he had to flee for his life and for the life of those who came to Christ while he was in that city. And the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, it's one of the earliest books written in the Bible. It's it's very early, one of the first books in our New Testament. And you you see Paul's concern for them because he had to leave at night in a hurry. He's looking back and saying, is everything okay with you? And he's sharing his heart and all that he went through and all that he loves them and how he wants the gospel to prosper in that city, in that church. And so in the middle of the book, he gets this report back and says, Timothy, whom I sent to you, has come back with a good report that you're walking with the Lord, that you're loving each other, and that what we began there is continuing among you. And so you get this urgency, this sense of connection that Paul feels with this very young, early church that he had to rush away from because they they were arresting Jason and people in the church, and he had to flee for his life. And it was this intense moment, and he's relieved because he says, what we began there, it's continuing. God is making it grow. So he says, I praise God for that. And after that, he says two things before he goes into this little section that we're going to preach on. Two things. He says, first of all, you look in chapter 4, he says, I want you to live a holy life. I want your life to be lived for Jesus. And he goes on, he says, stay away from sexual immorality. He says, walk this way before the Lord. And so as you live your life, live it for Jesus. And then the second thing he says, he says, when you die, remember that there is hope in death. Die for Jesus too. And he's, it's like once he gets his connection made, and he says, I've got this good report. He says, there's two things I want you to know urgently. Number one is, as you live, live for him. And when you die, die for him. Don't be like those who die without hope. But when you die, recognize that Christ is coming back, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we will be with the Lord forever. Oh, it's powerful. Scan through it. Read through it this week. It's fabulous. And so Paul's sense of urgency is live for Jesus, and when you go, be with the Lord, die for Jesus, and there we will be with him together forever. And death in Christ is a great victory. Even though on earth we do grieve because we love deeply, 
He says, I want you to understand all of life and all of death is caught up in this good news that we have that's called the gospel. And so in verse 12 of chapter 5, he makes his final instructions, the NIV says. And so let me, in the context of what I've just read to you, let me read these verses. Starts in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everybody. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you is what? Faithful, and he will do it. It's like Paul, after he establishes this thing, you know what, in your life, live for Jesus. And even as we pass into death, recognize there's hope and victory in death. And then he he crunches these little instructions. He says, as you function as this church, as you rise up in Christ together, I want some important things. And the whole issue is that you would be a community who is sanctified through and through. Not just sanctified a little bit. Not just sanctified partially, but through and through and through. Like you would continue to be washed by the word of God, washed by the spirit of God, so that you would look a reflection of Christ. He says that I want all of you, your spirit, your body, your soul, I want all of you to be presented blameless before Christ. God himself will be doing this to you. Isn't that something? It's interesting because the list he gave about leadership, about worship, about praying, gratitude, those, those aren't referring to God directly. Those are the things that we go through in life. But what he's saying is that the God of heaven is going to work through these things in life so that he himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you, will purify you, will transform and change your hearts, will move the furniture around inside of your heart and cause you to be more like Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You can look at everything that happens, good and bad, in your life and say, Lord, use this, sanctify me through and through. There is no situation that you need to face where you need to despair. 
where you need to say, God is not working here, or things are not going to work out right, or, or all is lost, or hey, I just give up. I'm sick of it. In every situation, we can approach and engage in that situation and say, Lord, sanctify me in this through and through. Dig deep. Go through me. Every single piece. God, I want to be pure and blameless in your sight. It doesn't matter what the situation is. That's Paul's instruction to the Thessalonians. That we would be sanctified. That we would be a community of people. All of these things that he lists are corporate things. They're not individual things. They're not just like be at peace personally. I mean, internal peace, personal peace, it's a part of it, no question. But it's talking about peace among you. Peace within your community. Peace within the people you interact with that you serve the Lord with, that you live life with. God wants to do a work in those areas. And if we hear his word, and if we obey his word, God will do that. That's the incredible thing. Is there, there's no one here within the sound of my voice that these things won't work for. That as you obey the scriptures, God will establish and do these things in your life. Isn't that beautiful? So what I want to do for the next six weeks is we're just going to look through these, these lists from verse 12 on to verse 22. And so today I want to talk about your leaders. Verse 12, let me read it to you in a couple different versions. The NIV I just read to you, it says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, and live at peace with each other. There's a sense in which Paul is saying, you need to live at peace with those who lead you. How many people have had trouble living at peace with those who are over them in any type of way? Some of you had started in kindergarten. You just didn't like all those rules. You just didn't like all that structure. Some of you, you held your own until junior high, and by junior high, you were throwing off every authority you could. Maybe it was in high school. Maybe it was in the home. Maybe you just came out of the womb kicking and screaming. No! What's the first word you learned? No! Mama and daddy and ball were like six, seven, and eight, not necessarily in that order. And so we have this sometimes love-hate relationship with those who lead us. And we're all led. We all have authority in our lives. And, and so Paul is saying, look, I want there to be peace among you. And so I want you to understand how to interact with those who lead you. In the broadest sense, the principle is true. And here specifically he's talking about in this newfound church that you go to in Thessalonica. And it's true of our little church here in Lansing, Illinois. The NLT says this, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. I like that. They work hard among you, and they give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and a wholehearted love because of their work, and live peacefully with each other. It's a good word. Last version I'll read is the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. 
and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. It's basically saying, live at peace with your leaders. And you can see this in your home. You can do this at your work. You could, specifically, we're instructed to do this in the church. And I praise God for the peace that we have in the church with leaders. But maybe there's things in your own heart. You're like, I want to I operate at a different level of faith with those who lead me. Because, quite frankly... Leadership, any type of leadership, is fraught with frustration, disappointment, and sometimes just anger and resentment. It is, I understand, a very delicate topic because we're not always led well. Leadership fails. Leadership neglects. We're all sinners, and leaders and pastors are no different than anyone else in that regard. And yet the instruction is, as verse 12 and 13 say. You know, I, when I look at this concept of um, those who work hard among you, um, deserve honor and recognition, I was reminded of a video. John, do we have that video? Um, may, some of you may have seen this. I know within the first 24 hours, there were 22 million people that have seen this. Behold the Malayan Spider-Man. Have you guys seen this? All right. There was uh, this guy, he's an illegal immigrant in Paris, a migrant worker. He's from uh, Africa. And he was walking down the street, and there was a little boy hanging from a balcony five stories high. And so this guy, everyone's ooing and eyeing and evidently videoing. And he just starts jumping on the balconies and climbs all the way up four stories, five stories, and saves this little boy. crowd starts cheering him on. The mayor congratulated him. 22 million views of this later. The president of France sits down and meets with him, offers him citizenship and a job on the Paris Fire Brigade. It's pretty easy in that sense. Here you have this illegal immigrant, this migrant worker who came from um, Eastern Africa, and he's in Paris looking for work, and he walks down the street, and he sees this little baby, this boy hanging the balcony, and he just jumps into work. And how, hard, how many people here could scale five stories via balcony? Anybody here? Yeah, Josh's like, I'd like to give it a try. I would be okay trying to do that. I mean, this guy did it, and because of his hard work, and because of the way that he himself sought to care for and look after this little boy that he never met before, the president of France came in, sat down with him, offered him legal citizenship and a job with the Paris Fire Brigade. Kind of cool. It's like uh, one of our poets has said, it's immigrants who get the job done. There's this idea that leaders, to be a leader, it requires hard work. And sometimes in the church, we think leadership is different, but it's not. Those who lead among us, the elders among us, the life share leaders, the children's ministry workers, people that 
carry the mantle of leadership, you have to understand, that's a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of emotional energy. It takes a lot of just um, drawing on wisdom and personal resources. If you lead, it's not like some other hobby. It's a full-time thing. It's, it's something that you give yourself to in the church. And so because of the hard work, the Scripture says, they're worthy to be acknowledged, you know? It's right to acknowledge people that serve and work voluntarily. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that about 99.9% of those who lead among us in this church do it voluntarily. They offer their heart, they offer their time, they offer their services, their gifts, and they offer their reputation for the sake of the spiritual growth and care of other people, and they work hard. Particularly if you're going to be an elder in a church, that is your hobby. Some people like to golf, some people like to woodwork or garden or whatever else. But if you're going to do that kind of responsibility, oversight, particularly in this church, it's going to dig into your time significantly. And then you're going to be exposed to needs, and it's going to dig into your wallet. And then, you know, it just goes on and on. And no one ever, we don't talk about that. We don't say that. We don't want to wrongly raise people up in, in the wrong way. But in all the right ways, the Scripture says we acknowledge those who work hard among you. It also says that we, we honor those who care for, and the ESV says, oversee your lives. It's interesting how the, the, the different versions interpret that. Some of them say they care for you. Others say they oversee your life. Others say they lead you. And the way this is translated, the idea of, of leadership and care they're almost, they're combined in the same concept. To lead is to care. Jesus taught us this. To lead is to serve. We don't lord over. Christian leadership is not lording over. doesn't matter if you're in the church or if you're in business. You don't lord over, you serve. Or as one among us loves to say, you get underneath and you push up. Because the idea of leadership following Jesus is to serve and give your life away, just as Jesus himself is a great example of leadership. He laid down his life. If you're a husband of a wife and your family, your leadership in your home is to look like what? You serve. You get underneath. You push up. You lay down your life. You bring the word to your family. It is your responsibility to care for and to present your wife and your family before the Lord as part of the pure and spotless bride of Christ. It's not to lead in a way that lords it over or to be the boss or make the final call or all the ways in which the worldly sense of leadership is. You own your responsibility in the home by serving. You don't abdicate just because your wife is a strong personality. You continue to lead and you continue to serve. And if it feels like you're giving everything away and you're getting nothing back, then you're doing it right. That's what Christian leadership is. You give it all away, you expect nothing back, and you've nailed it. The world says, I give it all away temporarily with strings attached, and I hope to get everyone honoring me and praising me and putting me on a pedestal. That's not how Christian leadership works. 
in the church, in the home, or even in business. So leadership and caring are synonymous. And it says that we honor and we respect our leaders because they admonish us. When's the last time you used the word admonish? Can anyone remember the last? Does anyone even know what admonish means? Some of you are like, Google admonish, what does that mean? I don't know what it means in about .002 seconds. Admonish means to warn. It means, it means to teach, but teach almost in the negative way to say, don't do that. Avoid that. If I were to admonish you, that means I would make a strong urging. I would plead with you to forsake a certain decision. The scripture says, admonish one another to forsake sinful activity. If you're admonished in the Lord, that means maybe you've got your wrist slapped because you were heading the wrong direction and someone warned you, they admonished you, they said, I urge you, avoid that behavior because it'll only bring devastation and heartache. Come and obey the Lord. That's what it means to admonish. And here, those are people that we don't always live at peace with. Amen? People that admonish you, you tend to like avoid. The proverb says, seek correction. Embrace correction. Because it'll add life to your days. How many of you just run after correction? You're like, I am eager for some correction. I desire someone to speak into my life and change the direction of my thoughts. It's not something we want. It is antithetical to human behavior. We want people that'll tell us we're doing great. That you're doing awesome. Don't change a thing. As a matter of fact, I wish I were more like you. Those are the people we want. But the scripture says, those who work hard among you, those who oversee your life, who care for you, who serve you, and those who warn you to keep away from sin, honor them. Highly regard them. Respect them and acknowledge them in your life. I want to take a minute because we have some transition. And one of our elders, um, Andy and Michelle Smith, why don't you guys just come up here and join me a minute? Welcome, Andy and Michelle, as they come. Andy and Michelle, as you know, are elders in the church, they, uh, they're leaders. I think Andy's the only other guy that you guys call pastor, Pastor Andy, right? Um, everyone else just Todd, Jay, and Bill, but you get Pastor Andy. Well done. Um, they, they fit this criteria. They work hard. Amen? They care for us, and they lead us. And Andy has been known to admonish us. Michelle does actually a fair amount of admonishing as well, but it's more in private. Um, it says we're to acknowledge these folks. It says we're to honor them, to highly esteem them and love. And uh, Andy and Michelle have just gone through a transition. And I do this by way of example and by way of announcement to us. Because those of you who know, if you have uh, children in youth group, uh, they have led. They've been the, the leaders, overseers of the youth ministry for the last eight years. You, we've known, and it's been an, a fruitful and profoundly satisfying time to watch you guys lead our young people over these last eight years. Hasn't it? Mm. 
And so um, this, in some way, is a transition because um, as of this last month, um, Adam and Allie Barker have transitioned into leadership of our high school and junior high youth. They've got a great team around them, and they themselves are a dynamic young couple. God is really working in them and is working through them in great ways. We are so blessed and privileged. They're in Minnesota right now. I never say these kind of nice things with Adam around. I'm just afraid, you know. But we sent them away for the weekend so I could say a few nice things. And so we have a brand new fantastic chapter ahead with Adam and Allie. However, this is a transition for Andy and Michelle. And so we want to acknowledge and honor you guys. Uh, I also want to make sure that everyone knows uh, this in no way diminishes their ministry in the church. Um, Andy and, and Michelle are still leaders, uh, elders, and we're excited. I'm excited personally about the new leadership responsibility and mantle that you guys will carry in the season to come. I'm looking to get a lot of help out of these guys personally. And so um, <laughs> this is why there's a smile on my face. So, but we love you guys and bless you. And I just want to give you a chance to share your own heart about maybe what's going on, the transition. And Yeah, um, it's just been one of those things for us when, um, you know, we love serving this church, right? And we love serving these young people. And we've loved, actually for nine years, eight years with high school. And then we did a year with Jason and Lisa uh, back with junior high before. Uh, we've only been at the church for 10 years. So our entire, almost our entire expanse of time at this church has been in serving our youth and serving our youth and serving our youth. And it's been like an honor, right? Like a privilege, you know. They don't even see it as work. Even though it's work, don't get me wrong, but we don't see it as work. Um, you know, we've, I've gained sons and I've gained daughters and I've gained um, just deeper relationship with, with parents. And, um, you know, we've, our kids have been on three missions trips, you know, with, uh, with our youth group, you know, four actually, three out of the country and, and one in the country. I mean, it's just been just a, it's just been a blessing to us and, and to our families. So, um, you know, I just say it, it really has just been an honor, a privilege. And I look forward to what it's going to look like in this season, in a new season. And it's hard. And it's hard. It's hard to not, it's hard. But God is good. Amen. And God has a perfect plan for us in this church still. We're not going anywhere. We're not moving away. We're not, you know, there's nothing like, yeah, there's nothing like that. It's just a new season of giving and serving this amazing, amazing group of folks. And just being a part of God's plan for this church in Lansing. And for that reason alone, even though it's tough to think about just being different with our youth, I'm so excited. We are so excited about what God's going to do with us. So Amen. thank you guys so much. Amen. I, as our kid, kiddos are, have basically grown up in youth group just by virtue of being with us every time, everywhere. Um, as I'm watching them grow, I'm, I'm seeing how they're getting into that age of approaching adolescence and teenage years, and I know that those are uh, very fragile years. So I just personally wanted to say thank you to the parents for trusting us with your treasures, because I know that's not a small thing to have other adults 
whispering in their life and trying to encourage and edify, correct and laugh and all of those things, just the time that we spend with your children. Um, we've loved it and we don't take it lightly and we just want to, I just, on behalf of both of us, want to say thank you for giving us that opportunity. Father, we thank you for just such a fantastic couple that have modeled for us godly leadership in the church. Thank you for the way they've worked hard. Lord, for every hour, for every tear, God, for every dollar that they've poured into us, I pray that you would just pour back into them tenfold. Lord, I thank you for just the way they've given their lives, that it hasn't been a job or work per se, but it's been a very expression of the calling and the gifting that's in them. God, we're so grateful to have benefited from that, to have learned from that. God, to have stood with and walked with them in these things. Now, Lord, I pray that you would unlock further ministry for them in this church, that their gifting, Lord, even their calling, God, that the work of their hands may take different form, but God, I pray that you'd continue to raise them up at Living Word Church. That, Lord, they would continue to work hard to admonish and to care for us. God, that they would find grace and strength in the power of the Holy Spirit in this new season. God, I pray just for all of us as a church, but particularly those of us who are working with Andy and Michelle, that, Lord, you'd give us clarity and wisdom as to where their next little niche would be. But, God, I pray that you would just grow them among us and that you would grow, Lord God, their gifts and, Lord, help them to make this church everything that's in your heart. Bless them, I pray. I pray that you'd guard them from any just disorientation, having done some, one thing so well for so long, God, to find themselves somewhere else, looking at something else. God, I know it can be just, in a human standpoint, a little bit disorientating. And so I just pray you keep their hearts gripped by you, Lord, and that, Lord, you would help us to just help them see the path of their feet clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name with your great blessing. Amen. Thanks, guys. We're about to take communion. Um, so, but I want to just say a couple of last remarks about leadership in the church. The first thing I want to say is this, that if you have the gift of leadership, then I want you to stand up in this church and lead. Sometimes I assume that goes without saying, I need to say it. There are great leaders in this church that aren't leading. And I just want to, I want to say it publicly. I, I want to welcome that. Sometimes you don't even know what that means or where that will look like, but I'm inviting that. Maybe you've been a leader that has taken a little bit of a season off. Great. But don't stay on the bench. Get in the game. There is so much this church needs to move out in. I want to encourage you to lead out. Do you hear me on that? Some of you, as soon as I said that, you realized, yeah, I'm a, I know I'm a leader. It's kind of a weird thing to say you're a leader in church because everyone thinks you're just some arrogant jerk. But if you can say with all humility, I want to serve, and for me, I have a leadership gift. Give me something to lead. Give me anything to lead. Put me in charge of the rocks in the parking lot, and I will lead well. Put me in charge of something, and I will be diligent. I will care for people. 
Second thing I want to say is this. There's a funny um, relationship between sometimes those who are viewed as clergy, priests or pastors, and those who are viewed as laity, people in the seats. And one extreme is for leadership, clergy, pastors, laity, whatever you call it, or um, um, clergy, to kind of hang on to all the power, right? it's, it's It's a malformation of what the family of God should look like when one person holds too much ministry. Understand that. And sometimes people encourage that kind of thing because you're like, that's great, we like that guy. Make, let them make all the decisions. Let them make all the ministry. Let them do it we'll just applaud. And there's something deformed about that. Some church cultures want to be that way because the pastor wants to be king. I do not want to be king. I want to be a prince. <laughs> I didn't pre-plan that. That just kind of came out. <laughs> Among princes. And princesses, if you will. But sometimes it goes the other way, where people are fairly dismissive of pastoral leadership. They think he's just another voice among many voices. They'd rather listen to their favorite preacher on TV or the podcast, or they, they, they just they love the view, and boy, the things, the wisdom that comes out of that program is so life-changing. Or you 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 have the place where you want to hear from. And when it comes to pastoral leadership or listening to the elders of the church or other leaders, your life share leader or something, your youth leader, you can be kind of dismissive or selective in it. That's another extreme. Pastor as chaplain, you're here to pray, and that's enough. So you've got this one side where it's a little bit dismissive, and you've got this other side where pastor is king or pastor is whatever, chief, and they want to, this guy wants to be put on a pedestal, and this guy, you just want to stick in the closet until you need him. And I believe what's being talked about here in the scriptures is acknowledging, honoring, highly esteeming leadership in all the right ways. I admonish you, do not be dismissive of pastoral leadership. They are there to serve you. We are here to, as, as a way in which God will sanctify you through and through. Not the whole way. I will not give you answers I don't have. I, but we're, we're here to serve you. And I also admonish you this. Don't wrongly put pastors and people on pedestals. That's not the right thing either. We are the body of Christ. Leadership exists to unlock you in your giftings so that you serve the Lord wholeheartedly and fully wholeheartedly and fully with everything you have, all of it, so that we together might be the profoundly powerful body of Christ with the testimony of Jesus, with a transforming effect on the world, and that we ourselves might see his glory among us. And that's what we need. So avoid the one and avoid the other and rightly hold those who lead you in honor, and highly esteem them in love. In love means this. They're not perfect. They're not going to do it perfect, but you love them. They serve you in love, and you esteem them in love. That means it all functions loving and caring for each other. Stand with me. We're going to pray, and we're going to take communion together. I want to ask the elders, wives, to come out. They're going to hold the communion for you so you can say, I love you. 
I acknowledge you, I whatever, um, as you take communion from them. And I want you to come to this table. It's a table that Jesus instituted for us before he himself, the great leader, laid down his life. It's a table for the forgiveness of sin. It is a table of a new covenant of who you are as a child of God. If you're walking in sin, living in sin, take a minute and repent before you come to the table. Don't take it wrongly. If you're not a Christian, you need to give your life to Christ right now in this very moment, and this will be a table for you. When I'm done praying, I just invite you to come down the center aisles, come down the center aisles, go back that way so it's not complete chaos. We'll send someone up to the balcony. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would sanctify us through and through, that every part of our life, our our body, our spirit, our soul, every part of us, God, Lord, would be blameless in Christ. Come do a work, a deep work in us. Thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come. Bring it back to your seats. We'll take it together as a church once you receive it. So don't eat it until we all take it together. And he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you do it, do this, take this, eat this in remembrance of me. And I remember that my Savior broke his body that I might be made whole. My Savior died on a cross and took stripes across his back so that I might be healed. My Savior gave himself for me because he loved me. And he promised to never leave me, never forsake me. And we will never forget what Christ has done. And we'll make it our sole passion in life to live to honor him. Take in remembrance. And then he took the cup. It was not a cup of juice, it was a cup of wine. And he said, this cup is a covenant of my blood shed for you. Blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Blood shed that those who had sinned, even those who had sinned over and over and over, those who the world had given up on, those that people had said they'll never make anything of themselves, those who said they would never change, Jesus said, this is a cup of my blood shed for you, that you might be forgiven of sin, that you might be made perfect in God's sight, and that that blood, this cross, might be the doorway to your new, transformed, changed, sanctified, and holy life. That when you drink this cup, whenever you drink it, you remember that your life has been purchased, your sin has been forgiven, and that you now have the power to no longer walk in sin, but to be set free into all that God has for you. Who wants to be all that God has for them? Drink this and remember of his great promise. (coughs) (coughs) I got a little too enthusiastic. (coughs) Wow. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you are and all that you're making us to be. We love you. Bless us as we go. (coughs) In Jesus' name, say it for me. (coughs) Amen. You're dismissed.